This is Dojo Live, Tech Without Borders, stories that bring us together. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Dojo Live. I'm Tulio Sergusa, broadcasting from Southern California. And joining me today is Kim Lantis in Hermosillo, Mexico. Hi, Kim. Welcome back. Hey, Tulio. We have Jason Marsh, who's the CEO and founder at Flow Immersive, who's joining us uh, from Northern California. Welcome to the show, Jason. It's good to have you. Thank you. Glad to be here. So we're talking about storytelling and the metaverse. Interesting combination, right? So, but before we go into the topic of conversation today and see what we can learn and see what we can unpack, uh, let's get to know our guest a little bit and his company. Jason, if you could please introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll go into Flow Immersive right after that. Thanks for being with us. Sure. So glad to be here. So um, I started my career at Apple Computer back in 1991. So I've been around a little while working on speech recognition, um, a product that really never saw the light of the day. It was a failure back then. Um, but after that short stint, I got into basically entrepreneurship. I am a technical founder. I've always been um, usually at the user interface level of, of the technical stack and really started focusing on how do we build how do we build mental models of information how do we more quickly get our job done how do we communicate more quickly and more effectively to an audience and um, flow is is the company is an instantiation of those ideas so a little bit more about me i did take a couple of years out of my high tech career and started a k8 charter montessori school um, helped write curriculum, raised enough money to build out a 35-acre site. That was uh, quite an adventure and really very successful. And a lot of the ideas about how you manipulate things in order to learn, how you make relationships, those things that we've you know, taught kindergartners through eighth graders um, actually apply pretty well when it comes to how can you engage an audience and how can you engage a team, a collaborative team. So Flow is an example of is software to help you do that thing. And we'll talk more. All right. So what is that thing? Tell us about Flow Immersive. What is the company all about? Well, I usually talk about it with showing it because, you know, might as well, right? So um, this is what the company does is it builds, uh, it builds tools for people to build 3D visualizations to help communicate um, data, particularly complex data in ways that are very engaging. Um, for particularly for non-technical audiences, how do people really understand and build a good mental model of the information? And also we focus a lot on interaction. In a meeting that no one can sit around and just watch, they have to get engaged and they can click and they explore the data in real time. And so what's, what's its really goal is to drive better data-driven decisions. Turns out a lot of our use cases are in sales, although some of our bigger customers are like the UNDP, We've been part of the General Assembly the last two years, which we're excited to talk about, um, and et cetera. Some people go, well, what does this actually mean? I mean, isn't there lots of data visualization in, in Tableau? And yes, there is. 
And in some cases, it's really valuable and powerful. In other cases, it tends to be really technical, very dashboardy. We've got presentations. Why do we need another presentation technology? Well, the combination of the two, we call it data stories. And that's what we do. So what is a data story? A story is that walking through the data in a way that's engaging. It's, um, it has questions. It has answers. It builds each step of the way. It builds on your prior knowledge. And sometimes it's surprising. Sometimes it's dramatic. And that is the, um, you know, kind of the focus of it. I'll... I've got, I will want to like at least show an example of a data story as we get going here because people will still want to know, well, what? How does this actually work? But that gives you the quick overview. Well, Interesting. Thank you. All right. Well, let's go right into the topic and the conversation and the question we're answering today and see what we can learn. Yeah. So today's topic, as chosen by you, Jason, thank you for being here, is data storytelling, like you laid out, specifically in the metaverse. And the question we're hoping to answer is, how can we make better data-driven decisions by applying brain science to meetings? So my two biggest questions now, this is probably kind of silly of me. I really haven't done much of my research yet. But my biggest question for you is, let's talk about this metaverse, right? I think this is sort of a buzzword right now. I think of a metaverse and all that's coming to my mind is Ready Player One and this dimension that we could all enter and somehow do things and be something that we're, we're not. But what is the metaverse? <laughs> Everybody in this space has been answering that question the last few months. Um, it's really taken off in popular culture. Um, uh, I guess Mark Zuckerberg uh, gets the credit for re-energizing the conversation about four or five months ago. So a lot of people think of the metaverse as a headset, as VR and et cetera. And we actually do VR and augmented reality, and um, that is very engaging and, and an amazing experience. Um, to see your data floating on the table in front of you, or to um, step inside of your data and have it, you know, consume your world. Or your that board game, like we had with Sequoia, Sequoia Games last week. It was fantastic. <laughs> it's it is very um, it's it's a very powerful experience, but. Um, we're very much an enterprise company, and so we've been focused a lot on the flat screen experience as well, as you could see behind me uh, a moment ago. Um, but in addition to that, um, you know, well, first of all, let's talk about the 3D aspect of the metaverse and the augmented reality piece of it. And sometimes what I do is I just like let people see kind of what flow looks like on a phone in with augmented reality. And in this example, it's actually showing a distribution of, of uh, disease through a population like COVID. So this is a, my co-founder of the company has this very popular TikTok channel um, and he does these videos. This is literally just a phone capture. This is what the software does is it helps people communicate, you know, these ideas in the space in front of them. But the metaverse doesn't need to be have headsets and all that. In some ways, it just goes back to the definition of cyberspace. You know, when for cyberspace, I've been around long enough, I guess we all probably have, where people were talking about what is cyberspace. And on some level, cyberspace is that place you're at when you're on the phone with someone that's neither here nor there. 
It's it's where your mind is. It's what you're thinking about. It's what you're what you're grasping with and and working with mentally. And to me, that's what the metaverse is. The metaverse is a Zoom call. The metaverse is, I think, the remoteness, being in um, environments with each other, even though we're not in the same room, um, is an important aspect of it, but not exclusive. It's really where your mind is, and that's that's how I think about the metaverse. Nice, hence the brain science. So the tech you showed us um, with this kind of three-dimensional <clears throat> graphic building out in real time, it's really cool, but what's the application? Like, is it just cool or what can we do with this? Well, let's hmm. think about what cool is for a minute. So I have my definition of cool. And that is, think about a great skateboard trick or that BMW driving experience, or maybe, um, Iron Man, Tony Stark flicking atoms around himself to create a new element, right? We go, oh, that's cool, right? We'd all just say, oh, cool, cool, right? But what do we mean? It's my definition is mastery and control. So when you see someone having that mastery and control over gravity or over their information, over the road, um, that sense of mastery and control, um, it has a meaningfulness beyond just cool. In an uh, enterprise environment, it's actually efficiency. How can you more quickly help someone think about a problem the way you're thinking about it? How can someone, you drive someone to a faster sales <laughs> conclusion, um, you know, close the sale. That efficiency is the result of the mastery and control and the experience of that, we say cool. So yes, it's our, our, our companies, um, our customers very often, you know, start out the conversation with us that this is so cool. I want to do this. And I'm almost always jumping and said, well, it's not just cool. And we don't sell on cool. We, we sell on helping people to accomplish their business problem, which is to communicate better. Nice. Mastery hmm. and control in human communication. I love it. So how does the concept of brain science come into data-driven decisions? Uh, can, how have you married these two? Curious to go a little deeper in that. Sure. So if you think about a PowerPoint deck, and what actually happens is you present some information. We don't even have to, well, we just quickly refer to the fact that a lot of PowerPoints are so dumbed down. It's four bullet points and, uh, and you know, a picture. And you just can't solve humanity's biggest problems with oversimplified ways of looking at the world that way. But, so we'll set that aside because that's a pretty well-known problem. The thing that relates to brain science is that when you put a visual in front of someone's visual cortex and then you make it disappear and you go to another one, each time that disappearance happens, your brain has to do a whole bunch of work to try to find the relationship, the thread between slide to slide to slide. Hmm. And this is because of a little thing called the hippocampus. A lot of people have heard of it. It's a little um, uh, horseshoe shaped organ in our brain. And it does two things for us. It gives us our spatial awareness. So it's how in our mammalian brain, how like mice find their way through tunnels and survive, right? It mm -hmm. gives us our spatial awareness. The other thing it does is it ties to our memory. We basically have another way to tie up to our memory, which is through emotional extremes, right? But we, we don't want to 
torture our audience in order to get them to remember our message. <laughs> so if we activate their spatial memory through the hippocampus, it's a better way to, to activate that, um, to give them long-term memory. So if PowerPoint is the problem where these visuals keep you know, disappearing, then a solution is to take a single image and walk someone through the story. So sorry, I have to talk show it while I talk about it. Okay, go for it. So, so look at, here we're just looking at a map of 2020 and your first glance, it's like, gee, it looks like the whole country voted red. Well, it turns out that people vote, not land. And now when you start oh. to go ahead and show what the pop, how the population centers voted, you get a better sense. Now, you see what I did there? I didn't take a new slide and flush, you know, the, the first image, I didn't flush that out of your brain. Instead, I just altered it. I manipulated it the same way that we manipulate things in the real world, the same way that we manipulate things um, as we're learning, as we're, um, you know, building our, our physical tasks in the world. And that's the way our brains evolve. So one of the half dozen ways that um, that brain science applies to this kind of communication is to stop forcing us, stop forcing our brains and our audiences to keep making these mental connections without giving them the, a continuous context. You really feel it if you go to a conference and you just listen to PowerPoint deck after PowerPoint deck and you at the end of the day, do you remember anything? It's really hard and it's not mm -hmm. your fault. It's, it violates the way our brains work. Yeah, this imagery that I keep getting with the story that you're telling about our brains is like a cat chasing a laser pen and then you zip it to the couch and turn it off. <laughs> and like suddenly this image changed and they like have a, they have a hard time making sense of this, right? And we all kind of get a kick out of it. But in real life, obviously I can see why that's, that's problematic. What, and also what I was seeing with your demonstration is what I would kind of equate to um, the, the weather, right? You're watching a weatherman or woman and they're presenting what the forecast over the weekend is going to be. And the truth is, it's this imagery that's changing right before your eyes. My question is for your tools and what you're doing and the people who are going to be using it, what is the kind of learning curve for that? I mean, a, a, a weather person, a weather has years of practice months I don't know what it looks like to become a weatherman but they know that they have to say what they need to say within a certain amount of time it's I imagine it not quite being as easy for me the speaker or the presenter to kind of follow through as I can just click next slide click next slide I have to keep up how does how does that work well there's um there's multiple aspects to this right so if we're building something that's just cool and doesn't fit into the enterprise workflow, meaning how quickly can you build these things? If it's not simple to use, then it's a bunch of meaningless coolness. <laughs> it's got to, so we've built the authoring tool, which is all web-based and um, we try to make it as easy as possible for people to bring in their data, start to see it visually in front of them right away and also starts to um, uh, just engage with the different stakeholders at an appropriate level. So you've got a data scientist very often who's prepared the data, and then you've got someone who's maybe got a little bit more experience with our tool, but then you've got a third step, which is the what we call the story creator, which feels more like rearranging the slides and adding some text, and it's still fully interactive. You still have all of that manipulative 
capabilities, but we're expecting that there's going to be a certain group of people who, who are purely storytellers and working with the visualizations that someone else who's taken a little bit more time to learn the flow editor, um, who's put together, who's put it together in the flow editor where it takes a little bit more time to learn it. But we definitely have new users giving their first um, presentation or handing it off to their CEO within a few days or certainly a week of starting the tool. And um, for us, shouldn't say it, but um, some of the presentations that we've given at the UN General Assembly, literally they called us four days before it happened and we put together a full presentation for them. So it's gotta oh. be quicker, it doesn't make sense. No, it makes a lot of sense. Hmm. I, you're, you have a question too, Leo, go ahead. Yeah, I'm just curious as to uh, the usability. Where are you seeing more traction right now in the marketplace for this product and why are you seeing that? Um, we're actually seeing a fair amount in public policy and surprisingly a fair amount in healthcare. Now this isn't treating patient healthcare. This is all of the, all of the data that goes into new drug trials that goes into understanding how diabetes is, ref um, how COVID has impacted weight gain and therefore impacted diabetes in this country. Um, mm -hmm. That's a presentation that we know has been given to congressional uh, peoples in, people in Congress. Um, there's a lot of aspects. So as a business, we hear from VCs, focus, focus, pick one vertical, don't get distracted, et cetera. As a business, we're getting calls from a whole horizontal play. And the fact that they tend, that we're starting to see a lot more resonance in healthcare is not by design. It's part of the way the ecosystem is developing. But there's also a you know, big resonance in education, as you can imagine, and, and areas. So I think that um, the, the aspects of the tool that give people this ability to uh, communicate quickly go across all verticals. And if VCs feel uncomfortable with that, um, that's their loss because we'll kick it there anyway. All right. What type of graphics are we showing? I mean, what I what you showed us with this map looked to me sort of like a three-dimensional, four-dimensional, I don't know what dimension it is, kind of bar graph, like an elevated bar graph. But what else are we, are we capable of doing? <laughs> Oh, it goes on and on and on. <laughs> There's quite a few ways to look at data. This is this is a pretty typical one for us. We call it a 3D scatter plot, where you're looking at time and in this case about 40 countries and life expectancy. And right away you can get a sense of this first hundred years, how life expectancy was flat. And then it just really took off the second hundred years. I mean, there's so many stories to tell here. For example, the first one is this is a massive success story, right? Life expectancy mm -hmm. doing this is, is, is a, a hugely important um, aspect of, of humanity's experience. But then we can also, you know, start to call out, you know, highlight, hey, Japan has the highest life expectancy in the world. We can focus in on some of the world's greatest um, tragedies. Like you can see this huge plunge in life expectancy in 1994 or you can see these plunges in World War II, and particularly the Spanish flu in back in 1918. This plunge across all of the world's countries gives you a sense of that. It gives you 
a kind of a visceral, visual, instantaneous um, kind of understanding. And so when you say, you know, what kinds of visuals can we do? Uh, we have lots of really interesting hierarchies and they're called force directed graphs, network graphs, um, experiences uh, across, um, you know, just lots of ways to see relationships of information over time and in space. So what I'll do, instead of trying to show a lot of these, I'll just mention that you can go to our website, shameless plug, and you can see all of these featured flows. You can see a thing that shows every single tweet from Trump for the during his presidency, and those are laid out over time, what time of the day they were experienced. Baby time, you know, when when bottle feedings and um, diaper changes occurred, that's actually went so viral that that author got invites into Good Morning America. See, wow. see COVID over time, see relationships, network graphs, you'll see some of these. Um, so how, in a way, we've built a new canvas and we and our customers are learning what that canvas can do. And um, the we try not to be too um, scattershot with the kinds of visualizations we build, but customers keep asking for, hey, can I show it? this way and we say, oh, okay, how does that work? Oh, I so. like that, like this really kind of interactive interaction of really paying attention to your users' needs and desires as you build out uh, your tech. I'm curious with these types of graphs and just this insight that Flow Immersive is able to provide, Have do you have any user you know, stories or case studies where something was discovered or seen that might have been missed without your technology? or taken longer to see at least? Yeah, so um, in our past, we've really focused more on um, the data communication use case instead of the data analysis use case. So in that case, does someone pay more attention? Do they remember better? Do they see it more quickly? Um, think of some of our financial- Education services. rather than discovery, perhaps. Yeah, well, one example is like a financial services use case for like a registered investment advisor, they'll have maybe 80 pages to sit down with their customers, with their client to talk about their portfolio. It's crazy. Where if we can condense that into one or two or three visuals, mm -hmm. then that, A, that client understands better and they're engaged. Mm -hmm. They're not walking away. They're not like, oh, okay. Your brain just gets tired with chart after chart. Yeah, yeah. The, the English, please. <laughs> right. Yeah. Now, I will say that we're just releasing our new new version, which is closer to that exploration. So if you take William Gibson's definition of cyberspace, which he defined it, and he coined the term um, in the book Neuromancer back in the early 80s, um, which was the something like all of the information in the human system, on all the computers in the human system, laid out like city lights receding. Imagine being able to navigate through, you know, these very large data sets in real time, focusing in, isolating, exploring, turning that data around, seeing it from a different angle, um, being able to do that real time collaboratively with your coworkers or your audience. That actually is the vision, and we're getting closer to that every day. So that will give us more of the analysis use cases 
but to date, we have done more of the communication use cases. Very cool. So I can't help but notice that you are calling your users storytellers. Mm. Um, what are you calling yourselves at Flow? Let's talk a little bit about your your company. What is it? What's your culture like? What are you aiming to continue building? Are you storytellers? Are you story enablers? What are you? Um, we have called ourselves storytellers, data storytellers, but um, really we're tool makers. Um, it's it's not our job to tell the world stories. It's our job to give tools for other people to tell those stories. And our you know self-serve authoring tool enables people to do that. As a culture, it's, um, well, we've really spent a lot of time and energy. We're not a huge company. We have never raised VC money. We've been in business for five and a half years, um, mm. but a little bit of angel money. And our customers told us what they wanted us to do, right? We It had to be by listening. Um, it wasn't some big vision on my part, a big vision of some VC who, who we got to buy into that. So that constant listening also applies to each and every person in the company, right? I, I always say, look, flow is the sum total of the interests and expertise and um, you know special skills that each person brings to it. And, and really it's our customers too. In a way, it's like, I call it the tribe, right? The flow tribe is out dancing into in, in a field and people keep coming to us and keep, it's really amazing this, this tribe. And, each of those ideas and each time someone asks us, hey, can you do X or look at, I showed this to my boss and it did X or I showed it to my customer, I showed it to the world, this is what happened. All of those turn into, um, I think a really meaningful and engaging place to, um, you know, creative place to work and um, engage with, with our tribe members. Nice. So, uh, Jason, let's talk a little bit about uh, you were at Apple. You were some big companies. You had um, uh, the experience of building out products in very innovative companies. Uh, and you've built out some businesses in the past, not necessarily in tech, uh, with the, uh, the school, the Montessori school that you were successful at. What's, what's it been like? for you as a founder, as a technology company founder, what's that experience been like? Any words of wisdom, things you've learned about yourself that that perhaps you didn't realize when you were working for a bigger company? Anyone who's sort of sitting on the fence thinking about, I'd like to put something out there, what words of wisdom would you have for them? Um, you have to be crazy optimistic because if you're not, you wouldn't do it. <laughs> I don't think it's necessarily getting easier um, to start companies. There's a lot more tech and that that's, you know, AWS and there's all kinds of environments in certainly software companies that make it easier and faster to, to get your tech out there. But um, I still think that funding is historically incredibly difficult. I know right now seems to be easier for a lot of folks. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of positive energy, but I mean, we, we started the company thinking we were going to do VR. It was basically a VR presentation company. And we had to survive through the VR winter and we starved. You know, there's basically four and a half of us that plugged away for four years, mm -hmm. building out tech, listening. It's only the last two years that that really has taken off. And it was because we stopped talking about VR and we only really only talked about the flat screen. 
you know, how do we, this Zoom integration that you're seeing where you put the content behind us, focusing on that, focusing on our mobile AR, which I showed a moment earlier as well. Those kinds of stories. So in a lot of ways, right, we were failing every day until we weren't anymore. <laughs> and starting a company, I think it takes more than one person, but one of those people has to be insanely optimistic <laughs> and insanely enthusiastic. And that happens to be me in our company. My uh, co-founder, he joined actually only four years ago, but we still call him co-founder because he's been so important, uh, Michael DiPanino. He's technically head of business, but really just um, incredibly talented on many levels. But um, he is much more of the realist and even, even a glass half empty person. And so the way we interact with each other and, you know, keep each other um, in a good compromise to um, stay focused and not go, not have flights of fancy, nor um, drive ourselves into the mud with with pessimism is, mm -hmm. is a, I think, a really important balance. Yeah. Are those so, the kinds of things you're like the kind Sounds like the kind of thing that you want to look for in, in a spouse, right? You I know, was they, thinking they, <laughs> it's not opposites attract, it's opposites are complementary to each other. So it's I, I, what I heard is make sure you find a co founder who's complementary, who's not a, a clone of yourself, but who, who balances things out a little bit. Well, uh, thanks for being with us. Time's up. We wish you a lot of success with this. It sounds as though the timing for what you're doing is in your favor. Now, there's big move toward uh, more virtualization, mm -hmm. more personalization, more ability to create stories, to create experiences. And ultimately, Remote. that's what we all want, right? We don't want just a transaction, a phone call, a Zoom call. It's a transaction, but experiencing something. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the heart of design thinking, right? And that's uh, really sort of taking off today because, like you said, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of tech out there. So people are going to levitate to the things that give them a better experience that make them feel good about what they're doing. So hopefully what you're doing creates that experience and people are very visual by nature. A lot of people are, so at least 50% of the people are very visual according to some of the studies out there. So congratulations. We wish you a lot of continued success. Stay with us as we go off there in just a second. Kim, we got uh, one more show this week, right? Tomorrow? We sure do. Yes, there's no show, probably restream on Thursday because Thursday will be our monthly all hands here. Um, but we do have a show tomorrow, 12 o'clock Pacific. We're going to be talking with Vikram Chalana, CEO of Pictory AI. So kind of in line of what we were talking about today with Jason and Flo. Um, here we're talking about messages to video, a path to quick engagement, and really how anyone can do that, right? How AI can help turn anyone into a video editor and a prolific video content marketer uh, with things like TikTok and personalization and our need to visualize things. It's certainly timely. Right? Absolutely. Having themed shows every week is absolutely a uh, coincidence. We'd like to take credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> We'd like to say we planned all that. Yeah. It's the universe is on our side. Yeah. We'd like to take credit for it, but no, it's it just kind of happened. It just, last week was gaming. This week is uh, storytelling. Yeah, yeah. So thanks for being with us. Come back tomorrow, 12 o'clock Pacific. And until then, stay safe and don't forget to have fun.
Check out past episodes, transcripts, blogs, and more on our website, dojo.nearsoft.com. <laughs>